Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith That Does Justice podcast, the official podcast of campus ministry at John Carroll University. Join us this semester as we hang out with some of your favorite faculty, staff, and alumni as we try to figure out what it means to live out a faith that does justice. I'm Mark Grabowski, and I'm joined today by my dear friend, Caitlin Matthews. Caitlin is a JCU alum who majored in sociology and minored in political science and peace, justice, and human rights. After graduating in 2019, Caitlin moved to Los Angeles, California to complete a year of service with the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. During her time as a Jesuit volunteer, she served at Homeboy Industries, the largest gang intervention, rehabilitation, and reentry program in the world. Her year of service occurred when the pandemic started back in March. She is now back home in Toledo, Ohio. Caitlin, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm doing well today. How are you, Mark? I am amazing that I get to reconnect and talk with you. Um, how are things in Toledo? They're good. I mean, just enjoying the fall weather um, and spending time at home with my family. So I really can't complain. No snow yet, right? No, thank God. <laughs> Hopefully not for a very long time. Yeah, I sure hope so. Also to note, Caitlin and I have a shared appreciation for ice cream. Um, <laughs> this just has to be mentioned. You said you had cookie dough last night. Is that what you said, Caitlin? Yeah, about half a pint of it, <laughs> to be exact. <laughs> Caitlin and I, we would go on some uh, some Ben and Jerry excursions, and those are some of my favorite memories. But um, yeah, some commonality with some love of ice cream. But, um, so Caitlin, thank you so much for being here today. And as we start every podcast, we like to invite our guests to give an opening prayer. So do you mind leading us in prayer whenever you're ready? Yes, I'm going to start us with a classic Jesuit prayer that I know every John Carroll person is familiar with. But Nothing is more practical than finding God, than falling in love in a quite absolute final way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination, will decide everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, whom you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love, stay in love, and it will decide everything. I love that prayer so much. I know, so do I. <laughs> it's such a classic. Can you just talk about a little bit like what resonates with you and why you chose it for today? Yeah. Um, well, when I was thinking about what prayer I wanted to use, um, I initially thought of this one, but wasn't like, oh, no, I should pick another one just because everybody is so familiar with it. Um, but this prayer is actually what led me to John Carroll. Um, and so I figured it was pretty fitting to talk about how that prayer um, kind of started my journey with the Jesuits and how it led to me doing JVC um, and has still played a really big part in my life right now, too. I just love the prayer, uh, the part of it where it's it will decide what will get you out of the bed in the morning, what you do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends. I just think that's, yeah, I love the prayer so much. And that's awesome that it's connected with John Carroll for you. So that's amazing. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I never get tired of hearing that prayer. Always... I know, me neither. <laughs> um, but yes, thank you so much. So just to kind of get into an opening question that we like to ask all of our guests is, can you just tell us a little bit about your spiritual upbringing? Um, how did you become a spiritual person? And yeah, just how, did, how have you gotten to here today in, in your spiritual life? Yeah. 
Well, I um, have gone to Catholic school my entire life, which feels kind of crazy to say. Um, and I think that when I typically hear that of somebody, I'm like, oh, you just kind of assume that like their faith is probably pretty strong because they've gone to Catholic school their entire life. Um, but for me, I feel like it was kind of the opposite. And it was just something that I kind of went through the motions of for a long time, just being raised Catholic. You go to church on Sundays, you um, have religion class and things like that. But it never really felt like my own until I got to high school. Um, specifically, I went on a mission trip with Catholic Heart Work Camp um, to Knoxville, Tennessee. And that was the first time that both faith and service kind of felt like my own experience. And I was kind of figuring out um, where that fit into my life. Um, and I think when I look back on my life thus far, 23 years, I think um, that first mission trip is kind of what changed the trajectory to get me to where I am now. Um, and then junior and senior year of high school, um, I was able to go to the Ignatian Family Teach-In in Washington, D.C. Um, I went to an all-girls school that wasn't Jesuit, but we paired with um, one of the all-boys schools that was Jesuit. So that was kind of my first experience into who the Jesuits were, um, what they're all about. Um, and I clearly um, was very drawn to it. And I attribute that a big part of the reason that I went to John Carroll um, to that. And then when I was at John Carroll, starting through the Urban Bay Scholars Program and like CSSA, but then um, expanding through campus ministry and retreats, it really, um, like I keep saying, like it really felt like my own faith. And that includes both all the amazing parts of it and all of the questions that I was really struggling with um, and really low moments where I was kind of like, oh, where is God in that? But luckily, John Carroll's filled with amazing people that kind of helped me navigate those questions um and not necessarily even giving me answers to that question because I'm not sure any of us have the answer but there's a lot of power in just sitting with people in those questions and I think that's a big part of what John Carroll gave me um and has continued my faith through my year of service and today amazing I can relate to the Catholic school upbringing for first and twelfth grade and same thing with you I didn't know of the Jesuits until even later than you did in college. But there's just something about the Jesuits. I don't know what it is, but they <laughs> they won us both over because like you kind of said, like I found an, like a home with the Jesuit um, tradition and just all of their aspects. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and so then kind of going along with that, we like to ask everyone the same, um, the same question, whether it's faculty, staff, or alumni in the John Carroll community, how they live out a faith that does justice. So can you kind of talk about how you felt you were living out a faith that does justice in your time at JCU and then also in your year of service. Yeah, so I will circle back to the prayer for this and tie it all together. Um, but I first heard that prayer in February of my senior year of high school. I had gone to the Arupe Scholars interview day at John Carroll. Um, and I really did not want to go to John Carroll. I had truthfully no desire in it at all, um, but my mom kind of dragged me along um, and she's like, we just have to give it a chance. And there was like a blizzard on the day that we came and visited. And I was so unhappy to be there. And I was in the Dolan Auditorium um, and somebody stood up and read that prayer. And I was stopped in my tracks and I was kind of like, oh, wow, maybe this is something that is really of interest to me. And looking back on that moment now like, and using my Ignatian language, I can, um, I can definitely say that that was God kind of moving within me. Um, 
and speaking to me through my desires or whatever you want to call it. Um, but it really kind of changed the trajectory of, again, everything. Um, like the poem says, or the prayer says, it did change everything. Um, and so coming to John Carroll and being part of Arupe, I started to learn what social justice even was. And the Jesuits um, and John Carroll as a whole helped me shift from that first mission trip that I went on where we were building houses and doing, again, necessary work. But it was definitely very much in the language of helping, helping these people um, and we're doing all these things for these people. And coming to John Carroll, that language for me definitely shifted to, okay, what does it mean to be in solidarity with people? What does it mean to... Um, just sit with people, accompany them through joys and struggles and let them do the same with you. Um, and then advocate for more systemic change, letting people lead the conversation. Um, so I feel like I lived out of faith that does justice through John Carroll, just taking advantage of service um, and immersion trips specifically. And I think in both of those aspects, but especially the immersion trips, which I know you can relate to, you are, I went into it again, somewhat of that mindset of like, okay, what can I do? Like, I want to like help. Um, and when you get there, you kind of realize like, oh, I just need to sit here and listen and learn and sit with all of this uncomfortable feelings. And then afterwards, um, use it to like create more systemic change. Um, so I feel like that's how I was living it out, um, during John Carroll, during my time at John Carroll. And that's kind of what led me to JVC. Um, and again, JVC is kind of like, a year long immersion trip, I guess you could say. Um, it's definitely a lot more complicated and nuanced than that, but I feel like that's a simple way to put it um, in John Carroll terms for people who have been on immersions. And so again, it was it was a big lesson in accompaniment, um, both accompanying other people and letting them accompany me through all of the things that I was struggling with. Um, and I think it's a lot messier than we think that it's going to be. Um, but it's also so necessary. And I think being with people and hearing each other's stories and things like that are how we remember that we're connected to each other and that will help us um, continue to work for justice. So one day all of us um, are thriving in the ways that um, we all hope to be. Oh, thank you. I have multiple things to add off of that. The first one is the blizzard. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I also didn't want to go to John Carroll initially. And then my mom also dragged me. To, <laughs> I think it was, I think it was celebration, but I'm, I'm visited multiple times, but the one time it was also snowing. I don't know if it was a blizzard, but it was snowing quite heavily in the spring. And I vividly remember with my cousin, we were both visiting and we went to the Beachwood mall and got Chick-fil-A. And I still remember to this day walking into Chick-fil-A on a blizzard. And I'm like, why am I here? Like, I don't want to, <laughs> like, I don't want to go to John Carroll, but obviously it's made, been an amazing experience for both of us but mm -hmm. also you talked about a lot of amazing things but the one we had the Ignatian family teach-in for justice this past weekend um, that was virtual and of course Father Greg Boyle uh, stops me in my tracks every time and he kind of talked about if you go to the margins to make a difference it's about you and like we just kind of have to ward that off and like I think you're definitely realizing that as you've advanced through John Carroll and it gone through your year of service and I just think there's just so many systemic things that we need to to work on and implement change but at the same time it's all about accompaniment and being with other people and like you said with the immersions and then also your year of service it's just 
I just love talking about these things. It's just so amazing. But I also remember, I don't know if you remember this video, Caitlin, at the immersion meetings, they show a Creighton video about a faith that does justice. I don't know if you remember this video, but that yeah. video has always stuck with me and explain and always um, explaining it for me. So, but thank you for sharing all of that. Um, that was awesome. So now transitioning, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with the Jesuit Volunteer Corps um, in your year of service? And more specifically, what was your experience like living in a community, especially with um, some other volunteers? Yeah, um, just for background, for anyone who might not know what JVC is, it is a year long or two years if you opt for a second year, um, domestic and international service program essentially um and they have four core values or pillars they call them um which is intentional community simple living spirituality and social justice and so those all kind of manifest them themselves throughout different ways during the year um, but you do one of the unique things about jdc compared to some other service programs is you live in an intentional community um and we do like spirituality nights and community nights um one of those nights per week and then you're all placed at a different placement site um so like mark said like i was personally placed at homeboy industries um but some of my other community mates one of them was also at homeboy with me um one was at the la center for law and justice um one was at dolores mission church and then the last one was at impacto which is an after-school program in the neighborhood as well um so i think this is just a a shout out to my specific community and neighborhood. Um, but I think one of the things I appreciated most about my year is almost all of our placement sites um, were based in the community that we also lived in. And like we lived two blocks from Dolores Mission Church, which is where Homeboy was started out of. Um, and then the after school programs also in the neighborhood. And it would overlap a lot where like some trainees at Homeboy's kids would also go to Dolores Mission or Impacto. Um, so it really was like, we were immersed in the community and really became full-fledged members of the community, which I just so appreciated. And then specifically um, what living in community was like with other volunteers. Um, I was one of five volunteers in the community and um, I love them all dearly. And I feel so grateful that I, um, that we were such a close community. And I also learned so much about myself in terms of living within that community um, because you meet these strangers and then you like, we, we literally like met at orientation in Philadelphia, spent four days together with all the other Jesuit volunteers and each other. And then we got on a plane to live with each other for an entire year. Um, so you kind of look back at it and you're like, that was kind of insane. Like who, who signs up for that? Um, so it was a lot of learning about um, each other and also myself. Um, and I think one thing I'll say is that a little like mantra that I don't know when, when I started saying it to myself or it became like, kind of like a guiding principle in my life. I don't really know what to call it. Um, but I try to repeat to myself a lot is to love people for who they are and meet them where they're at. Um, and this has showed up in so many different ways throughout my life. And I think it sums up community perfectly, but it again is so much messier than it sounds like, um, so it is figuring out how to support your community members while also figuring out what you need for yourself. And then on top of all of this, like you're trans, you're all transitioning from college or from home into a new environment 
work is really amazing and it's also really hard. And so you kind of have to figure out how to process that um, for yourself and then also show up for these people in your community um, and really support them through the things that they're struggling with and eat dinner together and figure out how to do household activities and chores and also explore and then do community and spirituality nights. Um, so it really is um, a multifaceted experience for sure. Um, and again, I feel really grateful to have people that I was close with to go through that experience with. Um, but I think the biggest thing about community is challenging each other to grow and then supporting each other through the more challenging um, times that growth often brings as well. And then on top of that, um, quarantining with each other for five months, that is not something that anybody saw going into their JV year. Um, and so many um, FJVs, former Jesuit volunteers and like JVC staff, when we would do like, we had to do our last two retreats virtually and they'd be like, you all are going to have the most unique JVC experience. And some people would be like, I would not have been able to survive with my community for five months, nobody going into work. Um, so it was, that also presented um, a lot of learning opportunities for us, but we made it. We had a lot of fun during quarantine um, and we're there to support each other. So I'm grateful for that. That's amazing. Yeah, especially when everyone is going through the same sort of year of service, but different placement sites. I'm sure it was so, so amazing to be able to come home and then just have that group of people to be able to process things through and just, just kind of be like, I don't even know what happened today. Like there's just so much going on, but like everyone's going through it just at a different, um, so I'm sure that was amazing. Can you also talk about, I know you said you had, I forget the ratio, but you had one boy in the house and then how many girls were, was it four girls and then one boy? Is that yeah. Fair? Are there also options for like communities where it's maybe all girls or all boys? Um, I don't know if you know that off the top of your head or if it's mainly co-ed um, communities for JVC. Off the top of my head, I'm not sure if you can like request that you'd prefer to be like in a single sex community. You might have to follow up with JVC staff about that. Um, but I will say there are times when you'll get like an all all female community. I think that happens um, more often than you would think that it does. I think all male communities are a little less frequent just because of the current ratio of just who does um, a year of service. But I know like one house last year, they had four boys and four girls in my region. So sometimes the breakdown is a lot more even than it happened to be in my community. But Marcus was a trooper with us. <laughs> Marcus, yep. Um, well, awesome. Thank you for sharing about the community in JVC. Can you kind of go into more specifically your experience with Homeboy Industries and the work you would do at Homeboy I am personally obsessed with Homeboy Industries, Father Greg Boyle, and all the amazing work that you guys do. Um, so yeah, if you could just kind of share that for everyone listening. Yeah, um, so like Mark said in the intro, Homeboy is the largest gang intervention, rehabilitation, and reentry program in the world. Um, and we're really centered around an 18th month job training program. Um, but we also have a ton of other wraparound services like tattoo removal, case management, therapy, legal services, workforce development. Um, I personally worked in the educational services department. So my office housed um, all of our academic education, like GED, high school diploma programs, and our Pathways to College program. And then we also had um, all of our court mandated classes. So anger management parenting and domestic violence were also housed out of our office. And then we also had um, more 
I guess, I guess life skills maybe would be the right phrase for them, but classes like work readiness, um, computer basics, alternatives to violence project, um, and things like that. Um, so my office did a lot. I had, I have had, I don't know, um, really incredible coworkers who do an insane amount of work with such grace and kindness, um, and just passion for the work that homeboy does. So I was able to learn so much for them. Um, like actual work that we do and like how to run programs or classes and things like that, but also just how much of a difference, how you approach somebody makes. Um, and homeboy is all about this idea of radical kinship. And it's basically the idea that there's to quote father Greg, there's no us and them, there's just us. And so it's this idea of kind of getting rid of the preconceived notions we have of each other and of ourselves um, and recognizing that we all, um, we're all the same. We all belong to each other and we're stronger together than we are apart. Um, and I think that takes a lot of unlearning for a lot of us who, um, both are quick to judge other people, but also I think we're all very susceptible to believing the things we've been told about ourselves before. So I think homeboy is a lot about showing people that they are totally and unconditionally loved. Um, and things that they've done in the past or names they may have been called in the past and things like that don't define them um, in all of the endless possibilities they have in their future. Um, it's a, <laughs> a really amazing place. Um, like you said, if you've heard Father Greg speak or read any of the books or even got to visit, like you, you can just sense that it's a different kind of place. Like this love and kindness just radiates through it. Um, and it made... I don't know. It makes all the difference for myself and everyone, I think, who experiences it. Um, but my specific job to be more concrete about that was um, helping with all of those different programs and classes. And then um, as I got closer with some of the different trainees, I kind of turned into like a personal tutor. Um, and I would also teach that computer basics class. And then if anybody came to me and needed help with like, I don't know, like um, get it like get, getting a transcript or like connecting with a tutor or something like that, um, I would help with that. So it was kind of every day was different and it was really dependent on what somebody needed that day, um, which I loved because I love the variety of it. That's amazing. I could listen to Homeboy all day. Uh, <laughs> I keep telling Caitlin that we need to, she needs to fly with me and when, when the pandemic's over and give me a tour of Homeboy Industries because for anyone who doesn't know, my absolute dream is to recreate a Homeboy Industries in Cleveland, some sort of nonprofit like that. I think the one thing that separates Homeboy from a lot of different organizations is just the, the kinship and the community and the love. Like you, Caitlin, you'll probably touch on this a little bit later, but Homeboy is so centered around hugs and just everyone just, and obviously that was really hard when the pandemic hit that you couldn't do that anymore. But I just think it's so cool, all the amazing work you guys do. And um, with Father Greg Boyle, we had the virtual Ignatian family teaching for justice. I wrote two and a half pages of notes from what he was talking about in a 30 to 40 minute talk. So, um, but thank you for sharing all that, Caitlin. Um, so my next question is, were you starstruck by Father Greg Boyle when the first time you met him? <laughs> I wouldn't be. Can you just talk a little bit about um, your experience with him and just, um, and yeah, what it was like being in that organization with him? Yeah. Um. Yes, no, it definitely was very, very, very surreal. I mean, 
similar to a lot of people. I had seen him speak when I lived in Atlanta, um, read both of the books. And when I found out that I was placed at Homeboy, it was kind of like, oh my God. Like <laughs> it's something that had been like, like I would say like, oh yeah, like my dream year of service is at Homeboy Industries, but I was never like, oh, that's actually going to happen. So it was really crazy um, when I got that email that that was my placement. Um, and then meeting Father Greg, the first two days that we started, um, we being Mora, the other JV and I, um, we started with the Global Homeboy Network. So instead of actually going to work, we went to like this huge global conference um, where partners from all over the country and all over the world of Homeboy come to learn from Homeboy's model. Um, and so we were very much learning right alongside everyone. And it was just a very, it was a very surefire way to be like immersed in everything um, that we saw Father Greg there and introduced ourselves just as the new JVs. Um, and it was like a definitely surreal moment um but he was so nice and so welcoming and then the next day he came up to me at breakfast like at the same conference and was like good morning caitlin and i was like oh my god he knows my name and then he's like so this weekend i'm gonna have you and maura drive my car drive me in my car to the airport then you're gonna keep my car for two weeks and then you're gonna pick me up from the airport when i come back from the speaking engagement and i was like oh okay um and so I like went back to my table where Maura was sitting and I was like, this just happened. And it was just like a very, very surreal thing. But I think just speaks to the openness and the love that we are welcomed with by, um, by Father G, but also by everybody at Homeboy. Like it was very much like it quickly went from being like, oh, my gosh, like this, like far off, like starstruck place to being somewhere that I was welcomed into the Homeboy family with with such love. So it's kind of crazy looking back now, like how quickly that transition happened but I think it's just a testament to like how real and loving everyone there is I love that story so much that is <laughs> <laughs> um thank you for sharing all that so then to kind of get more of to the the end of your year of service so when the pandemic started in March can you just kind of talk about how that impacted the remainder of your year of service so what did your work look like were you still able I know you were quarantined for five months with your with your community members, but were you still able to build a community in your house and then with everyone at Homeboy? Um, can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I think what's so interesting about the pandemic is everybody now has these stories of like where they were on March 13th or March 16th and what they initially thought at the beginning of this versus what you think now. Uh, but like a lot of people, we were at work March 16th. Um, and one really special thing about Homeboy is that every day started with a morning meeting. So like everyone would gather in our lobby. We do like announcements. Someone would give like a thought for the day reflection. And then like everyone would just be together for like 15 to 20 minutes. And then we would go about our days. But like, I swear some days it would take me like 15 minutes to get to the second floor to get to my office just because of how many hugs um, everyone's giving. Like it's just such a special environment. Um, so March 16th, was a Monday and we were all like gathered to do that morning meeting. Um, and it was kind of at the point where they were like, probably like 50 or 60 people in the lobby still, which like was down from how many normally people would normally would be there, but it was still kind of like, okay, we have way too many people here. Um, and so initially we're like, okay, we're going to close for two weeks. Um, and then we'll be back April 1st. Um, which again, I think everyone has that story of like, okay, we thought it was going to be over in two weeks. Um, and unfortunately it was not. And that timeline just kept getting pushed back and back. Um, so it was really, it was really difficult um, for a variety of reasons. I mean, obviously one of them is like, I remember back in March, like 
every day I would wake up and I'd be like, oh my God, what is it going to be today? So it was like that on top, like that with the world versus, or on top of what was going to happen with work in the year of service and how that was going to look. Um, so it was definitely a really difficult time. Um, my team shifted all of our classes onto Zoom. Um, my supervisor, Marissa, I, I think became an expert at Zoom like overnight. Um, and we had to like, normally when we were in person, we probably offered like, I'm going to mess up the number, but like maybe like 30 to 40 unique classes per week. Um, and so we had to shift, we shifted almost all of them online. Um, and then came the challenge of making sure that all of the trainees had access to technology, um, whether it was through a laptop or getting zoom on their phone and kind of troubleshooting all of that. Um, so it was definitely a, uh, um, stressful couple of weeks transitioning onto that. Um, but honestly, once we got them up and running, the classes were so successful um, being on Zoom and they still to this day are on Zoom um, just because I don't know when you're going to be able to gather in a classroom like that again. Um, so we were able to create a sense of community in those classes online and like especially for a lot of people um, who uh, kind of needed that sense of community. I mean, I think all of us were craving it. Um, but some people who had a different, I don't know, like maybe were like only out of prison a couple months and homeboy was like the one consistent thing in their life, like transitioning to online classes and still giving somewhat of a structure, I think was super helpful to people, especially because like a lot of other agencies like closed their doors for, um, a while, understandably so because of the pandemic. Um, but a lot of people were very grateful that we were able to offer those classes online, um, and so we were able to create a community in those classes. And then um, my JVC community, we continued doing like our community nights and our spirituality nights every week, which I think was good um, in terms of keeping a sense of structure. Um, but it also is definitely, we all went from working 40 hours a week um, to kind of having that um, alone time and with people who we had created different relationships with in LA. Um, to them being stuck in the house with each other. Um, and again, we had a lot of fun, but it was also a lot of anxiety just about like, okay, what's gonna happen? And um, and also California was very, very, very shut down. And so we, like beaches were closed, parks were closed. Like there really was like nothing for us to do. Um, so yeah, that got a little better um, towards the summer months. Um, but unfortunately I was never able to like actually go back into work. So that went from going it went from, oh, we're going to be back in two weeks to maybe a month. And then I was like, I'll be back by May 1st. Okay, June 1st. Okay, July 1st. And then never going back. Um, except for one, we did like a drive-by graduation, which was really fun. Um, but that was definitely these past almost, or how long has it been? Seven months, almost eight months. Oh, my God. Um, how obviously been so difficult for all of us in so many different ways. Um, I am having a weird time right now just because I'm like, okay, I'm trying to like transition from my year of service, like process everything that happened. And then it's also like parts of this ended in March. So I've like had several months, but then it wasn't like fully permanent. Um, so definitely it's so sad. It's not how I thought my year of service was going to end. Um, and we didn't get to do like our last two retreats in person and things like that. So there's definitely, um, as we've all missed out on so much this year, there's definitely a lot of bittersweet feelings about um, my JV year. 
but I'm so grateful for the seven months we did have where life was totally, totally normal. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of the systemic changes that will hopefully come from this of we've realized all of the inequities that are occurring. Um, and this is something that we talked a lot about at Homeboy when we were at home over Zoom of being like, oh, we want to go back to normal. And then we're kind of like, well, no, normal wasn't working. So like, how do we use this um, and create changes? So normal. So we're creating like a, a new normal that's better for all of us where we're all um, treated more equitably and like are able to thrive a little more. So that was a long winded answer, but I think these seven and a half months have been long winded for all of us and have brought <laughs> a lot of complicated feelings. Yeah, no, I think you, you summed it up perfectly. Yeah, it's been a long winded seven and a half months, which brought up a lot of long winded uh, things. But yeah, thank you for sharing all that. Cause I know it's, that's an important part because the pandemic is still happening and for anyone still considering a year of service. I mean, it's an important um, part to hear about how one, how you guys transition and then how it's um, still been going. So thank you for sharing all of that. Um, so for anyone that's listening, um, that maybe is either on the fence about a year of service or maybe isn't sure which program is for them, do you have any recommendations or tips from your own personal experience that could help guide them in their discernment process? If anyone's on the fence, I would say do it, um, which I know sounds totally biased and I don't mean to paint a totally like rose colored depiction of what a year of service is because it was really hard. There's so many, so many challenges that it brings, but also through those challenges, so much growth um, that I don't know that you'll, you'll kind of never be the same afterwards. Um, but I think that that is a good thing, even if it makes some things more difficult in the long run. Um, but I think general tips, whether you're deciding um, if to even do one or what program to do would be to definitely talk to people um, at Carol or just in your life who know you in various ways. Um, because I think sometimes, especially when I was deciding a year of service, I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do or I don't know what would be a good fit. Um, and through talking to people who really knew me, they were able to kind of serve as like a mirror to me and hold like kind of hold up a mirror and show me um, where I might be best fit and um, what program I might grow the most in. And I think that that's really helpful for making any decision, but especially one that you're deciding where to spend the next year of your life. It's really helpful to um, have people that you know and trust kind of guide you through that decision. And then um, one other thing I would recommend is talking to people who have done other programs. And I think in that way, we're very lucky um, that we have gone to John Carroll and there have been so, so many people who have done countless programs. And so there are, there's no shortage of alumni to reach out to who have done probably almost any program you can think of um, or could connect you with somebody who has done one of those programs. So there's a lot of people who have done JVC, a lot of people who have done Colorado Vincentian Volunteers, Rocha de Cristo, all of the international programs. So I think talking to as many people as you want or need to get a feel for the different programs um, and hearing about their personal experiences will also help you kind of make a decision of where you're going to grow the most um, in this next year of your life post-graduation. Amazing. What great advice from an amazing person. Uh, so kind of going off of that, you, you hinted at it a little bit, but 
with a year of service, it just always seems so amazing because you're essentially dedicating an entire year to, to serve and be with other people, most likely in a community you're not, you, you didn't grow up in or you're not familiar with. So can you just talk about some of the challenges and difficulties that come along with your service and how you were uh, able to navigate those during your time? I think one of the biggest challenges I experienced, um, you know, I don't really know how to word this, so it might be kind of rambly, but you're at this point where, like I said, like you move to a new place and you're living with people who you just met and everyone you're working with, you've also just met. So they only know you from that point forward and all of the stories like you choose to tell them. So they don't really know what you've been through, um, which can be challenging because it's up to you to kind of explain that um, especially kind of the hard things that you've been through and what that's meant and words can only explain so much if somebody wasn't there. So that was a challenge for me. And then on the flip side of that, everyone that you've known for these past 23 years or past four years in college or at home isn't with you now in this year of service. And so on the flip side of the coin, it was, how do I explain everything that I'm experiencing right now? Um, especially the really hard parts that are so, so different than anything I've ever experienced to all of the people at home who aren't experiencing this. Um, so I don't know if that makes sense, but it was this weird dichotomy of like, I am the only person who has been with, like who has experienced all of this. Um, and for me, somebody who like very much processes out loud, um, that was really difficult because I had to, um, I had to either explain things to people or I had to kind of sit with myself and just process things on my own, um, which is really challenging. I think for me, it was a necessary challenge because it taught me the value of alone time um, and being with myself and my feelings. Um, but it was, or it still is, I think the other challenge that I'll say is JVC has this like unofficial tagline of ruined for life. Um, and I don't think I really totally understood what that meant. And now that I'm like done with my year of service and I, especially now that I'm like back in my hometown and in, in a place so familiar, but I've changed. Um, or the way that I view the world has kind of changed has just been, um, it's been difficult and not in a way that I would change it for the world. Like these are absolutely necessary, um, necessary growth that I'm so grateful for. Um, but I think kind of what you were just saying about father Greg, when he talks about the margins, like, once you like fully see the way that society like marginalizes individuals and then you're in a situation now, or I'm in a situation now where I'm trying to share the stories of people um, who I've come to know and love very deeply this past year um, with some people who may not be able to see past some of the things that they've done or like the labels that society has prescribed to them. Um, it's just really difficult and it's, it's a worthwhile challenge. I will never stop. Um, and I think part of being ruined for life is you can't really stop now. Um, it has changed the way that you view the world and walk through the world forever. Um, but I think that it can be challenging, especially being back in a place that is familiar and kind of figuring out how to um, move forward with these stories. Um, and also continue developing my relationships that I made in LA and bringing them forward with me um, while also maintaining and developing relationships that I've had for a long, long time. So 
Um, I don't really know how to articulate any of that um, super well, but I think that they're living somewhere totally new, experiencing a totally different life than you're used to. And then being fully immersed in that brings a whole set of challenges and to make it all full full circle, like the prayer says, um, it decides what breaks your heart. And I think a year of service for all of its joys also brings a lot of heartbreak, um, which I think can lead to your heart being filled up even more. Like it breaks it wide open and it makes more space for stories and love. Um, but you're definitely not the same as you were when you started, um, for better, I think. Wow. 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 I was thinking of some things while you were talking about that. The one I'm not, I'm not somebody who pulls out quotes, um, just like that, but there's this one quote that I always remember is, um, when the heart is touched by direct experience, the mind is challenged to change. And you, we kind of talked about immersions and how in a John Carroll sense, like, an, like a year of service is like a year long immersion, which is just like, like for anyone who's been on an immersion or any sort of trip like that, it's just like, it breaks you. It just, like you said, like it breaks your heart and it just, but at the same time, like when your heart is touched by that, like that experience is amazing in the best and worst ways possible, but it also shapes you for moving forward and how you can be a lifelong agent for change and social justice moving forward in your entire life. And I think that's just so amazing and powerful. But yeah, Kaylin, thank you so much for sharing all that. Um, this has been amazing. Um, so yeah, thank you so much, Caitlin, for joining us. And thank you everyone for listening. Um, this has been the Faith That Does Justice podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>